So good evening. Reading from Sri Jiva Goswami's Krishna Sandarbha. We're in the 73rd Anacheda. 73rd Anacheda will close out the uh, the second uh, um, division, I guess we could call it, of uh, Jeeva Goswami's fourfold presentation of uh, support for um, the Parivas Sutra Krishnas to Bhagavan Swayam. So Jeeva is showing us that in the uh, Srimad Bhagavatam, this one statement uh, sheds light on all the discourse. And if we look at all the discourse, if we look at all the all the statements, um, then we will see that this. Uh, this statement that Krishna is the topmost manifestation of the Supreme Lord is uh, supported throughout the whole work. So, uh, fourfold army, just like four divisions in an army, um, have been supported by uh, Jiva Goswami. The first was just supportive statements where Krishna's two Bhagavan Swayam was supported by other, you know, statements in the in the Bhagavat Purana in the Srimad Bhagavatam. Then the second division uh, was that all the various narrations, all the different, take all the different discourses between the different speakers and the questions posed uh, um, to those speakers and the way that they responded to those questions, both the questions and the responses pointed all point to Krishna as the supreme manifestation of uh, the Godhead, the Supreme Lord. So tonight, uh, once we finish up this uh, 73rd Anarcheta, we'll go into the uh, 3rd and 4th divisions, uh, hermeneutics, which is uh, basically, uh, if we look to how all the different statements in the Bhagavatam can be interpreted because basically we interpret everything that we hear. Um, if we look to the, the hermeneutics of the book, the Srimad Bhagavatam, um, both the Sat Praman and the Sat Sadlinga, both these also point to Krishna. So we're getting a little bit into here, Jiva's using discourse that would would uh, ring true to his audience of his time, much more, uh, much of his audience, which where he's presenting, you know, this, this Sandarbhas, uh, are fully versed in the Vedas and they're fully uh, conversant in all the rules of grammar and all the rules of, of structure of, a, of, a, of the Sanskrit language because it's, a, it's a extremely, well, it's called the language of the gods. It's eloquent and it's, you can interpret things in, a, in many ways as we see from our perspective, just simply, uh, as uh, we read in the uh, Chaitanya Charitamrita, how Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, Krishna himself coming as a devotee, when he was presenting uh, 
just one verse. Um, that this verse, he could present it in so many different ways to Sarvabhuma Bhattacharya, and then when inquired again uh, about about different ways to understand this verse. Can't even remember the verse now. Uh, hmm? Atma Rama verse. Atma Ramas Chamunia Munayo, yeah. Uh, that the the actual the intent of all the different Atma Ramas, all the personalities who are seeking self realization the intent of all of them is ultimately ends in Krishna. So Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu was able to give an interpretation of that verse in many different ways that would satisfy many different audiences. So when we look to uh, hermeneutics, we're talking about that interpretive ability and how that applies to Sanskrit verses and how it's done properly and and what the what the different weight is and Jiva's going to show with these last two divisions of his fourfold army in support of the Parivas Sutra that Krishna is the the main god the 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 main personality of Godhead Krishna's two Bhagavan Swayam so in in looking at the hermeneutics, again, he's going to look to all these different verses throughout the Bhagavatam, and he's going to say, there's no other interpretation that one could arrive at if they're truly schooled and they truly understand the intent of the book, the intent of the speaker, the, the structure of the, the use of the words, the structure of the words and sentences, the sentences within paragraphs, the paragraphs within statements, all of that points to Krishna. So the way the whole literature, Srimad Bhagavatam, is, is composed from the words to the sentences to the paragraphs to the declarations, all of it is showing that Krishna is the intent of, of, of every syllable of the Srimad Bhagavatam. Before we jump into that, <laughs> let's finish up this last Anucheta. So the last Anucheta, um, as we know, uh, Sadaka Rishi's questioned Sutta Goswami and Jiva's kind of, he's made this last little detour to show that the questions asked by uh, Sonic on behalf of the sages of Namasaranya and Sutta's responses all point to Krishna. So now he's going to, the first few Anuchetas or sections that we've just been studying have t spoken about the questions themselves, looked at them analytically and shown that each question is about Krishna. And now, how does Sutta Goswami respond? What's the nature of his response? How does he deliver that response? And in delivering that response, how does he let his audience know that your questions are perfect because they're about Krishna, and therefore I'm only going to speak about Krishna in response to those questions. 
So Jiva Goswami says here in the 73rd Anucheta, there'll be a little redundancy, we've already read this, but now it will be shown that Sri Sutta's intention was also to speak exclusively about Krishna. The second chapter, this is the second chapter of the, very, of the Bhagavatam, the very second chapter opens with a description of Sutta's delight on being questioned by the sages headed by Sonika. Uh, from this point up to the fourth verse, uh, Sutta offers reverence unto the sage Sri Sukha, to Nara Narayan, to the goddess Saraswati, and to Srila Vyasudeva. Narayanam Namaskritya Naramchaiva Narutamam, famous verse, often chanted before people even uh, discourse on the Bhagavatam. Some will, some sages, sadhus, will chant this. Um, then, beginning his discourse on the Bhagavat Purana, Sri Sutta said. So now we get to the response. This is the beginning of the second chapter, and now. Let's start answering these questions that you've put before me. So he says here in the first, fifth verse of the second chapter, Sutta Goswami responds, O sages, you have, been questioned, you have questioned me in a highly significant manner, beneficial for the entire world, because through thorough inquiry, I'm sorry, inquiry about Krishna as conducted by you, is itself that by which complete fulfillment of the self comes into being. So the first two questions were, what's the best thing for humanity and what's the best thing for the self? So collectively, what's the best thing that one can do? And individually, what's the best thing that we can do? So he's saying, your question is perfect. This is perfect. And uh, because all six of your questions together are pointing to Krishna. So therefore, even the first two questions are about Krishna. So Jiva Goswami writes here, by first um, using a statement from the commentary of Sridhar Swami, the opening verse of the second chapter begins with the following report of Sri Vyasudeva. So now, in his commentary on this verse, Sridhar Swami goes back to the very first verse of the second chapter, where Vyasudeva is saying, now Sutta responds. So, you know, there's like an opening to the chapter where Vyasudeva says, Sutta, Sutta Sri Sutta, honoring the, word of the words of the sages. So that was the quote from Sridhar Swami, honoring the words of the sages. Now in this verse, how Sutta honors them is being shown. So now we're up to the fifth verse. And Sridhar Swami says, O sages, you have questioned me in a highly significant manner, sadhu yatha, because this inquiry is beneficial for the entire world. This is due to the fact that Thorough inquiry conducted by you pertains specifically to Sri Krishna. Sutta spoke in this manner because the question raised by the sages uh, 1111 about extracting the essence of the meaning of all scriptures also culminates in Krishna. That's Sridhar Swami's comment. That this is this is perfect. 
how you can't get you can't get better than this that the nature of the question and now Sutta is going to respond and because it's all about Krishna this is this is truly the highest discourse that one could be party to to actually even be in the in in a situation where we're able to to hear such an elevated discourse is is simply uh, our amazing good fortune. Jiva Goswami himself continues. Therefore, in the succeeding verses, so now Jiva is looking at the verses that Sutta speaks in response as they as these verses are presented, and he pulls out the following. Therefore, in the succeeding verses, now he's Sutta Goswami is answering the questions in response to Sunaka's question. The first. The words Adoksija, Vasudev, Sattvatampati, and Krishna have been used with the express intention of specifying his, Krishna's, supremacy. So Jiva say, if you really look at the way Sutta's responding here, every one of the nomenclatures that he's used to designate the supreme, the absolute truth, the supreme personality, they're all they all signify Krishna. That's the intent of all these words, whether it be Adoksija, Vasudev, Sattvatam, uh, Pati, and Krishna himself, all of them. And these are the six these are in a succession as the as the second chapter is presented. And uh Sutta Goswami speaks, so one two six, one two seven, one two fourteen, one two seventeen. So he uses these nomenclatures for the supreme, and Jiva saying it's all Krishna. All these were all these nomenclatures for the supreme absolute truth are referring to Krishna. Then Jiva Goswami goes on to conclude this anucheta by saying, here in Srimad Bhagavatam one two five, this is the verse that's being discussed in this anucheta. The answer to the sage's first question about ultimate welfare is provided by the compound Lokamangalam, beneficial for the entire world. The answer to the second question, so their question was, what's beneficial for the entire world? And the answer to the second question about the cause of fulfillment of the self, how do, how do we become, how do we do the best for humanity? And how do we ourselves become fulfilled in life? How can we really feel that we've, we've done the right thing in living? So the answer to the second question about the cause of fulfillment of the self is tendered by the phrase, yenatma uprasidati, by which complete fulfillment of the self comes into being. So this is this is Sutta's first response. This this kind of this this puts us on the road to entry into the Bhagavat Purana. Now we're we're ready to go. We we're, we we know, but just by hearing this, just by speaking this, just by being in the presence of those that understand this, that this is the best for humanity that we can do, just showing up, and the best we can do is. To, for ourselves, the best way that we can fulfill our mission in life is just to be party to this in some way, hearing it, speaking it, writing it, 
assimilating it or just being in the company of it. All these, in any of these ways, and the hundred million other ways that we touch this Bhagavat Purana, which is more brilliant than the sun, we're going to be benefited. And we're going to do the best thing in our, in our life. This is the best that it's, it doesn't get better than this. So the six questions are there. And the responses. This concludes Jiva Goswami's analysis of the intentions of the principal speakers and hearers found within Srimad Bhagavatam itself. A topic that began in Anucheta 44. Now we're up to 73. From this consideration, it is clearly evident that Krishna alone is the primary subject of their discussions. Next, Sri Jiva Goswami begins an examination of the subject of the Bhagavat using the six hermeneutical indicators, pramans, such as Shruti, direct statement, and Linga, inferential mark. The third and fourth divisions, hermeneutics, sat praman and sadlinga, Anucheta 74.1. Now, there's so much information in one Anucheta that the Anucheta is broken down into subsections. So an Anucheta means a section. These sections are really long. So in presenting them in English, uh, Satya Das has broken them down so that we can digest them in parts or attempt to digest them, or at least hear them. So, let's hear them. Analysis of the subject of the Bhagavat through the six Pramans. Shruti and Linga. Jiva Goswami writes, In this way, it has been established that the unanimous intent of both the chief hearers and speakers of the Bhagavat is Sri Krishna. Now, the same conclusion will be validated by the six hermeneutical indicators of textual analysis, Praman. So now he's going to analyze the way the book is put together by words, sentences, paragraphs, subjects, the whole thing. So he's, take, he's approached it in a very general way. Now he's going to get down into the, the grammatical way. Let's, let's look at the grammatical Let's look at the grammar of the book. How is it? How is this book composed? How are the slokas made? How are the? How are all these wonderful words words put together? And if we look at all these wonderful parts, we will come to only one whole conclusion: Krishna's two Bhagavatam. Krishna's the supreme personality of Godhead. So. Praman, such as Shruti, direct statements, Linga, inferential mark, or word denotation, and so on. Then Jiva goes to the first one. One, Shruti, direct statement. Well, we're pretty lucky there, he says. Out of these direct statements, Shruti, defined as an independent declaration, has already been shown in this statement. Krishna, however, is Bhagavan himself. Now, in this context, set aside the definition of Shruti as meaning the Vedas. Here, Shruti, in the context of hermeneutics, is not referring to that 
Shruti, the Veda. Okay, Veda means direct statement. So they call Shruti, Smriti, Puranadi. If you conduct devotional service and you don't rely on the on the Shruti, the Veda, Smriti, what can be heard, the supportive statements of the uh, Puranas and the Itihashas. So Shruti, Smriti, Puranas, uh, that particular utilization of the word we shouldn't we shouldn't look at here here shruti is spe specifically talking about a direct statement a pronouncement uh, a literary pronouncement not veda shruti small s on the beginning big s would be the vedas shruti so an independent declaration we got one of those okay we're set we call that a pariva sutra so here we have a book which has a Pariva Sutra, one declarative statement. Yes, here we have Krishna is the Supreme Personality of Godhead. Then two, Linga, inferential mark. The inferential signifier, Linga, which has the power to support the independent declaration, is to be recognized in verses such as the following. So now he gives us an, he's given us an example of Shruti, a direct statement, Krishna Sthu Bhagavan Swayam, well, what about Linga? What about an inferential statement? Because there's, there's six, uh, you know, sad pramans or evidences. The first is Shruti, the second is Linga. Okay, so now what's, what's a, where in the Bhagavatam can we find an example of that? That points to Krishna, Sthu Bhagavan Swayam. So he takes us to the 10th canto, 14th chapter, 13th chapter, I'm sorry, 46th verse. While Brahma looked on, while Brahma looked on, all the cowherd boys immediately appeared to him with dark complexions like that of a rain cloud and adorned in yellow and silken garments. So now Krishna, this personality in Alila, we have a statement that supports that he's the Supreme Personality because who other than the Supreme Personality could manifest in forms of his eternal associates for a full year in the context of the Leela and then through his mystic power. Who has that much mystic power is basically what this statement's saying. Who can do this? that all the cowherd boys, as Brahma looked on, turned into Krishna. Every one of them turned into Krishna. And then they turned into Vishnu. Then they manifested as Vishnus. So, if Krishna, the little cowherd boy depicted in the 10th canto, has that much power, he has to be Bhagavan. And to manifest all those forms of Vishnu where all the universes are worshipping at their feet, which was Brahma's vision, I mean, just extraordinary revelation that Brahma was allowed to have in regards to Krishna. 
So you think you got some mystic power? You can hide my boys in a cave? Look at my mystic power. <laughs> I can generate uncountable universes. I can manifest as every living entity, my eternal associates. I'm in I'm in the, I'm there and I can manifest as the Lord in every universe with all the universes, universal administrators falling at my feet. This I can do. So you might be able to take and put a few boys, you know, a few cowherds and their cows and calves in a cave. Okay, big deal. Can you do this? <laughs> so he's kind of, <laughs> Brahma was like, oh, I thought I knew you, but I, some people may say they know you. I'll never say that again. I'll never be, never qualify. I'll never, never even think that I understand you. Others may say they understand you, but believe you me, after seeing this, I know I'm not even, I'm not even in a, in, in possession of enough intelligence to understand you. This is Brahma. How much intelligence does Brahma have? Well, he is the most perfect and the most intelligent in the universe to be given that administrative position and that much power to generate a whole creation. Jiva Goswami continues. Elsewhere in the Vedas, however, the relevant Shruti is to be conjectured on the strength of its inferential mark, Linga, in the form of a mantra. Behir Deva Sadanamdami. I cut the sacrificial grass, the seat of the Devas. But here in the Bhagavat, the Shruti is directly present in the form of the declaration. Krishna, however, is Bhagavan himself. And this is what distinguishes the Bhagavat's inferential signifier, Linga, from that of the Vedas, namely Behir Deva Sadanam Dami. All right, so what does this mean? This means that we will find statements in the Vedas like this. I will cut the sacrificial grass, the seed of the Devas. But what sacrifice are you cutting the grass for? What's the intent of the sacrifice? What are you trying to accomplish? So if we have a statement in scripture that only gives us a directive oh you you need to cut the sacrificial grass well how do i set the sacrificial grass down so the davis can sit it sit on it how ripe does the grass need to be at what stage do i cut it in what direction do i lay it and on and on all these all these directions we have to infer based on the placement of the statement somewhere in the Veda in relationship to a sacrifice. So what basically what Jeeva is saying here is we don't have to we don't have to think what what was what was Brahma thinking about when he when he when he saw this vision. We know it was that Krishna is the supreme personality of Godhead. 
We know that's what that we know that's the conclusion of Brahma's revelation that there is no superior manifestation of the supreme than this young cowherd Krishna. Because there's a there's a direct statement in the Bhagavat. So therefore, we know that all the linga, the infrared, any th other statements in the Bhagavatam, they have to be referring back to this one Shruti statement, direct declaration. Does that make sense? So in the Vedas, you can have all kinds of statements, like you got to cut the grass, but what are we talking about? What kind of sacrifice, where, what's the context? All this we have to infer. And that's the distinction, Jiva's saying. There's a distinction. The Bhagavat, we have the declarative statement. We have a Parivas Sutra. All right, let's look at some of this. Um, so Krishna is the direct original source of all avatars. That's the, that's the conclusion. Let's look at these six, you know, uh, pramans or evidences that are there logistically. Okay? In the li linguistics as presented in the Bhagavatam, hermeneutics. Um, what are we to infer from the way everything's put together? So, there's nothing, the, the, the strongest of those six evidences is a shruti, a declarative statement. That's the strongest. So now we're 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 studying a verse from Jamini Sutra that reads as follows: When direct statements, shruti, inferential inferential mark or word meaning, linga, sentence or syntactical connection, vakya, context or inter interdependence. Pakarana, position or order of words, stana, and name, samakya, are present simultaneously. So we have, let's say we have a perfectly composed statement uh, presented, a few paragraphs put together, and they're, you know, they're, they're composed perfectly, and they contain all of these, all of these indicators. All of them. Each member is progressively weaker in interpretive force because of increasing remoteness from the meaning. In other words, the strongest one is, is a direct declare, declaration. The sec, second is where you can see that it's, it's a linga. And, and the linga, the word meanings can only mean what the declarative statement says. And then how the sentences are put together, and how the uh, how the words interconnect with each other, all these details, six of them. In all six of them, throughout the Bhagavatam, no matter which one of them you use as a way of interpreting the scripture, no matter which one of them you use. All of them support Krishna's two Bhagavan Swayam. So it seems very oh this is this is way above my head. No, it means that every word, every sentence, 
every paragraph, every every you know statement, all of them point to Krishna being the supreme personality of Godhead. So he's already he's already made his point in two ways that yeah there's other statements that also say Krishna is supreme in so many ways although they're not direct declarations there's all the narrations point to Krishna and now let's look at the way the words sentences paragraphs and everything are put together and all the all the all the rules of grammar and of course we're talking about sanskrit grammar all of those also point to Krishna that's what this section saying so it's not it's although it's technical and way above my pay grade uh, we can kind of gain some entrance into it just by studying the way these things are presented so a little bit from the commentary here hopefully we'll make it a little uh, more clear in this list meaning in this list of six items each preceding indicator is stronger than those that followed it. So, of course, Shruti's at the head of the list. Meaning that Shruti is stronger than the following five, Linga is stronger than the following four, and so on. The strength of a particular praman or evidence, is asserted by its proximity to the meaning or the de declarative statement. So the closer it is to that, <clears throat> it's stronger. For example, Shruti means a direct statement or an independent speech sound. Uh, Nirapeksha Rava. So it's a direct Nirapeksha. It's a direct statement. Uh, this means that the words that make up such an independent declaration express their sense without any intermediate steps. We, it's, it's, it's direct, it's direct, Shruti. It's a direct statement. We don't have to think, well, what's this mean? Or what's that mean? What do we have to think? Krishna, the supreme personality of Godhead. Doesn't get much more direct than that. There's nothing, we don't have to do, there's no, no we don't have to really think about it. It's, it's right there. So that's Shruti. Nirapeksha Rava, direct, direct sound. As are required in the case of Linga and so on. Now the others we have to think about. We have to put them in context. We have to, we have to understand the context and understanding the context and what's being stated. Then we can, we can arrive at the same Shruti declaration. Brahma saw Krishna do this. Krishna has to be the supreme personality of Godhead because who else could do it? So, Linga. We can interpret from the statement, the Linga, that Brahma experienced this. We can, we can deduce from that that Krishna has to be God. Therefore, Shruti is the strongest indicator of the meaning or subject of a text. Now we kind of get into to a paragraph here which will although it seems extremely technical if we just take it step by step we'll walk away from it with an understanding of 
of what Jeeva is trying to convey, a bit of an insight into the into the science of Sanskrit, which was probably as far as I'll ever go in my lifetime as a simple understanding. But, uh, you know, it's an elegant, perfect language. So, linga or inferential mark refers to the power of words to denote some particular idea. So, words denote an idea. This power is the conventional meaning conveyed by the words. In other words, what do we generally think about when we hear a statement like, all the cowherd boys turned into their complexions changed. So it, it's it's pretty. What's the what's the simple meaning? The conventional. How would you normally think about it without going out of your wheelhouse of knowledge into some other field and try to well maybe and you know I need to think about the psychology of that. You know, no. What's what's the general way you think of it? That's simple. The cowherd boys turned into forms of Vishnu. It, it's not. It doesn't require. You know, it's not rocket science. So linga is just what's the conventional meaning of words. This power is the conventional meaning by the words. Vakya or a sentence. So now we're taking a word from words. We're going to a sentence is a syntactically connected utterance. It is the pronouncing together of two or more words expressing subsidiary and principal meanings. Now we have to look at a statement. When we look to Vakya, we have to look at this. what's being said by how the sentence is put together how that's done in Sanskrit and all the intricacies of that, you can imagine. But just by having some exposure in this life to Sanskrit verses and over decades learning one or two Sanskrit terms, that's about the extent of my vocabulary. But <laughs> we can we can kind of see, yeah, there's really a science. You take a word and then you see the same word in the context of a sloka or a pada, one line of a sloka, and you can see where they changed it to make it fit. So there's a whole syntactical science of putting together the words into sentences. It's a syntactical connector utterance. How do you say things together? Um, okay, so the first one, linguists, independent words. They speak for themselves. The second one, you have to see the sentences put together and what all the, how, the, how all those words interrelate with each other to arrive at the meaning. You can arrive at the meaning based on the context of the words in the structure of a sentence. Otherwise, the words could mean something else. They could mean something else in that context of the sentence as opposed to what? The linga, which is what? It's it's a common knowledge. Turned. Common knowledge. Yellow cloth. Blue complexions. So it's doesn't require, but maybe in another way you could put together a sentence and you'd have to you'd have to look at those words in the context of the sentence. 
prakarana or context involves what is known as ubhayakangsa, the interdependence or mutual need for complementary existence between two or more sentences. Now to get the meaning, we have to go a little broader. That sentence didn't quite make sense to me, just reading it on its own. But if I read it in the context of the sentences around it, now, now I can understand. Now it becomes clear. The setting now has made it clearer to me because it's set in the context of a, of a, of a longer statement. So that's Parakarna. Mutual need for complementary existence between two or more sentences. They all come together and now I can see. Stana or position refers to the order in which words appear in a statement. Now we're talking, well, yeah. So we went from words, then we went to sentences, then we went to to sentences together, paragraphs, whatever. Now we're looking at how words appear in a statement, where they appear, they have a certain meaning, where they appear. Yeah, what's the object, and you know, what's an adjective, and all those things. Uh, Samakya, or name, is a word understood in its etymological sense which is of two types, Vedic and Adamatic. The difference between Shruti and Samakya is that Shruti provides the conventional meaning, Ruda, Rudi, while Samakya gives the etymology. Conventional meaning or etymological meaning. Uh, these six indicators help to determine the relation of subordinate and principal elements in an injunction. Now we're really getting into what, you know, a, a, an understanding of Sanskrit uh, that's deeper and it doesn't end there. <laughs> I mean, uh, the author is, of course, a Sanskrit scholar, so he tries to give us an introduction one thing that I pulled out of his explanation was, according to Purva Mamamsa, there are five types of statements in the Veda, namely injunction, vidi, prohibition, sacrificial formula, name, and explanatory statements, Arthavad. Of this, vidi is the most important, as it enjoins the acts directly. Another thing I highlighted here, Jiva Goswami points out that in the case of the Bhagavat Purana, there is no need to postulate a Shruti on the basis of Linga. Prior to this, in the commentary here, there's been a very deep explanation of when you hear a statement like, you got to cut the grass for the sacrifice so the devas can sit and perform a sacrifice, then there's a whole system involved in determining what is the sacrifice, who are the devas, and all the other details. So there's there's a whole system to that. 
and luckily for us, we have Krishna's two Bhagavan Swayam. So we have a, a lamp by which we can look at all the statements in the Bhagavatam and know what's going on. We don't have to speculate as to what the subject of the text is. We've got a declarative statement. Sometimes the Vedas don't give you such a declarative statement. Therefore, you have to go through all kinds of formulae to come at the, to the conclusion of what the scriptures are saying. So therefore, what do they say? The Vedas appear to be written in codes. And you need a decoder ring, who we call the sadhu. Well, actually, there's different sadhus for the Vedas, for the, because each of the Vedas, there's four different parts. And, you know, uh, there's, there's different priests or experts on those different parts. And therefore, without those decoder rings, those personalities who know what's going on, you wouldn't you couldn't arrive at a proper conclusion as to a Vedic statement like you gotta get the grass ready for the Davis to sit on during a sacrifice. Okay, well, I know the grass is there and I know a grass is in this, this and this sacrifice. But generally it's just sadhus that sit on grass. So that we eliminate all those sacrifices that aren't are, are where the devas preside. So if the devas are presiding, then it has to be one of these sacrifices. Kind of catch my grift, what's going on here? They can arrive at a conclusion of what a statement in the scriptures means by, by putting it in by, by technical analysis. Not required in the Bhagavatam. It's already been put forth at the very first canto all these all the different narrations of all the manifestations of God of all of them Krishna's to Bhagavan Swayam Krishna's the topmost so you're 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 good to go you know you don't need to you don't have to jump through a lot of hoops to understand what this book is about and what what is the primary subject of the book even though you don't have to do that Jiva Goswami still does that in this section of the Krishna Sandarbha just to show that the Shruti statements, the Linga statements, and the other four, which we'll go through as we go through this Anucheta, all point to Krishna. So if you want to go and see the technical support, the hermeneutics, the logistic justification for the statement Krishna Stu Bhagavad Swayam, here, let me give you some. So I'll give you the first statement, the Shruti, Krishna's two Bhagavan Swayam. Let me give you a Linga. Brahma saw all, the, all those forms turn into Vishnu, into God. Jiva Goswami points out that in the case of the Bhagavat Purana, there is no need to postulate a Shruti on the basis of Linga. Don't have to use any cause because there is already exists in the in the form of a declaration, Krishna to Bhagavan Swayam. And then uh, an explanation of, of the ten subjects. As you know, the ten subjects of the Bhagavatam are presented. Uh, 
at the end of the second canto uh, in the following verse to clarify the meaning of the tenth subject to clarify the meaning we already know there's a meaning depicted here the highly elevated souls mentioned in this book such as Vidura and Maitreya describe the characteristics of the first nine subjects sometimes directly by offering prayers of glorifications, using words that graphically depict their intended object, and sometimes indirectly by pointing out the intended meaning, Arthavad, implicit in various narrations. So there's also a science to the, to the ten subjects of the Bhagavatam. All of those major ten subjects, they also, they also are meant to to reinforce the position of the tenth subject, which is Krishna. So we'll go on in the next discussion. We'll stop there. Thank you much for your association. Lunch, Kopitar. Nice job.